As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And we are live, Farhan. Let's just wait a moment before we get too into the weeds. Allow some people to enter, join the room, join the conversation. Welcome. Welcome to everybody as you filter in. Thank you for joining this live edition of the VanCast. Thank you for turning away from the debacle in Costa Rica at the moment that's unfolding for Team Canada soccer. Could have been a historic night. We'll have to wait, I think, based on the current result and the 10 men aside. But the Vancouver Canucks, three points, three big points against two really difficult opponents, really difficult circumstances. They beat the Avs at elevation, play a near-perfect game. And then they come into Minnesota and they steal a point. Pretty great. Excellent work, I'd say. I think the Canucks were fantastic. Full value tonight. Um, you know, the, the fact is, is that the Wild pummeled them. Like, pummeled them all evening. It was not particularly close. <laughs> I know I know the score was. I know the Canucks got a point. I know it was tied at the end of regulation. But in terms of how this one felt, how this one was played... Uh, there's no question. Like, the Wilds were all over them. We're the far superior team all night, in my view. Um, you know, I, I really do think that they took it to the Canucks in a major way, uh, pounded them into the ground, generated far more chances. Canucks, I thought, were pretty fortunate to get two. It felt like the Wild played the type of defensive game where they probably could have gotten a shutout, to be totally honest with you. Um, you know, there was that sort of one weird break off the OEL pass and, and Bo Horvat made no mistake. And then they get the power play goal. Great shot by JT, not taking anything away from it. But just that the way that the Wild lost things down, how how little quality the Canucks were able to generate. Um, you know, I, I thought the Canucks were pretty fortunate to get two goals. <laughs> and, and then Demko was incredible. I, I thought really did 
limit what the Wild were able to generate, especially late in the game. Uh, Harmon Dial joining us now, too, and the VIPs filtering in. Thank you all for joining us. All right, I've been doing a soliloquy for a while. Let's get Farhan. Let's get Harmon involved. Farhan, your quick your quick take. What, I mean, what, what what can you extrapolate from this back to back set we've watched unfold? Yeah, look, I think the Canucks have got to be happy. Every point matters right now, so they're not going to set. They're not going to say they're happy about having to settle for three. But in reality, these are two teams that are in a different weight class than what Vancouver currently is. And the fact that Vancouver was full value last night and tonight, the fact that they could get a point uh, was a really good thing. I thought their first eight minutes prior to the Minnesota goal, I thought Vancouver was the better team, but that's only eight minutes, right? Then after that, once they scored against the run of play, then they physically started taking over. And in the second period, I saw the game the exact same way you did. There was nothing, right? They had the late power play. Uh, they had one chance on that power play, and then they had a shift after the power play was over where it looked like they were alive and still in the game. But, you know, for virtually 18 or 19 minutes in that second, it was a physical beatdown, and the Canucks were physically hanging on. And then in the third period, I thought they were better than they were in the second. But, again, physically, you can just see what Minnesota is, a, a playoff-built team. You know, adding Nick Delorier, boy, he was sure noticeable in this game. Um, they've just got that type of, of quality around them. And so you're right, the Canucks didn't get to generate a lot. Even after Vancouver tied it, I asked Bo Horvath this question after the game. It felt like you kind of were hanging on, and he didn't necessarily run from that, right? I mean, there, there were a lot of shifts, extended shifts in Vancouver's end where physically they were able to separate Vancouver from the puck and keep it in there. Even if it didn't necessarily lead to a grade-A scoring chance, you could see the Canucks kind of feeling it. And for them to be able to play rope-a-dope and get that game into overtime and just get the, the one goal in the third period, um, because if you look at that game in the second, I sent out a tweet saying it's going to take a Herculean effort because they're not getting into the inside at all, right? And so the all. fact that they were even able to get it yeah. on the power play was something. They did have a couple of other chances after that. It, the third was better than I thought it would be given what this team is dealing with. And look, you, we can sit here and say, okay, they got physically pummeled. But the reality is, is that we are respecting the result in that they got in at four in the morning, Right. That's a tough ask. That's like back-to-backs plus, right? Like it's a little extra than just a regular back-to-back. And you have to believe Minnesota knew that. So, yeah, this is how they want to play. But on top of that, they had to know what they were dealing with, the team that barely got any sleep coming in on the back end of back-to-backs. And and they probably even made a greater effort to force Vancouver to pay a physical price to get anything. And they got very little. And the fact that they were a goalpost away from getting two points in this game, amazing. Harmon? I want to I want to get your two cents. What stands out to you? Like your your key takeaway? What's the headline on this game from your vantage point? Well, for me, it's more the headline when I take a step back and look at this two game set as a whole. Is look, I just feel for the Canucks because you look at the effort they put up against Colorado and to pick up the W there and to pick up the point and, and come back in this game after they had nothing left in the tank to pick up three points. And yet, when you take take a step back and look at the bigger picture. It's like on the one hand, you credit the Canucks for their effort, but then you look back at the standings and because Dallas won both games, it's like the point deficit actually increased. And it just, I know you've talked a lot about this. It just kind of goes to show um, how tough it kind of is to make up ground. And so for me, I, I mean, it's just, if you told me that they were going to pick up three out of four possible points in this back-to-back set against Colorado and then Minnesota, To me, that's just incredibly impressive, incredibly impressive. And to a man, too, the fact that 
the back-to-back set against the weekend was such a letdown, and then you have, and then you lose one of your key bottom six pieces in Tyler Mott at the deadline. I think it would have been pretty easy for the team to look at this road trip ahead. And, and, and to me, I was curious coming into this road trip, is this team, how hard are they going to battle? Are they going to be a little bit dispirited by, um, by the homestand going off the rails a little bit by the, the club, you know, moderately selling with Mott, but no, they came out and they, they worked their tails off. And so that to me was really impressive. I'm really glad to see that resolve. But then again, to kind of look at the standings, it's just, it, it's such a punch that punched the gut from my perspective. Um, the fact that they play this well um, and, and yet on, on the standings, I mean, at least it helps them stay alive. And that's a big thing, right? Because now you have, you have this against Saturday, you can position it as like a, that's a four point game essentially. So um, it's not, it's obviously not, you know, all, it's it's not for not by any stretch of the imagination. And in fact, I think, man, if they could, they could pull out of this with um, a victory against Dallas, especially if they can do it in regulation. And of course, that's a huge ask. But if they could do that, oh boy, that would be that'd be huge for this club. That would be something. All right, before we get to the stage, so let me remind everyone: we've got this chat function. Come engage with with us there. We're getting some interesting thoughts. We're we're getting some comparisons between the Canucks and the. 2019 blues i don't typically stand for that but that's okay um there's no bad comments come chat with us in the chat and additionally in the second half of this live show we will uh ask you to raise your hand if you'd like to join us on the stage and you can ask a question bring up a topic float something you want to hear us discuss and we will engage with you in that manner so if you want to raise your hand now and wait you're welcome to also once we start taking questions you can raise your hand i'll invite you to the stage when we're ready and then you know provided that it works relatively smoothly we'll answer your question i want to try something new we're we're getting sort of into this format still right this is still a new pair of jeans that we're working in right i'm still struggling to crouch in it although granted there's no pair of pants that i don't struggle to crouch in um but i wanted to do something i want to do hot buttons so i'm going to i'm going to float five topics gentlemen uh, for 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 me, Farhan and Harmon to discuss just five hot button topics stemming from the game, um, and so I'm going to start with the officiating because in back to back Canucks games, I think we saw a level of officiating that we would be rightly confused by. I think the Canucks themselves are confused by it. Um, you know, there's no desire, I think, to say anything like that on the record. Maybe, maybe they think they're complaining uh, too much on the ice uh, and getting picked on as a result. I'm, I'm not really sure, but I think the way that fans have felt, the way that I've felt in the press box watching the Avs game and then the Wild game unfold, I think the whistle has been basically arbitrary. Like, I, I have no idea what's going on game to game or what's going to be a penalty or what's going to be called or, or why, what's going to be offsetting. And I do think that it's colored these two games, even though the Canucks have won them, whether it's the pace, whether it's the feel uh, of the games themselves, I I do feel like they've been massively influenced by the officiating. And I do think the officiating has been substandard in both contests. Your thoughts, gentlemen? Yeah, I think there was some moment in the middle of this game where there were some opportunities for the Canucks to to potentially draw some penalties. It didn't happen. Uh, They had three in a row for Minnesota. I didn't find it that bad in the in the third period, right? The can opener on Quinn Hughes should have been called, but Tyler Myers also got away with a high stick. 
Um, you know, and when a team is getting physically nailed that often and that regularly, you know, th- there's a tendency to think, and not you, right, but there, there's a tendency to blend every clean hit with the odd egregious moment. And, and it, it just feels and looks so much worse because it seems physically getting manhandled a little bit. I thought it was worse in the Colorado game. And, you know, we, we've debated on Twitter back and forth about the Matthew Highmore, uh, the hit to the head. And I've seen the replay a few times after the fact since our exchange. And I still think it was a hit to the head because I saw um, uh, Highmore. Well, sorry, the question you know, is not, we know it was a hit to the head. The question yeah, is whether sure, or not it was whether a not it was, violation. Yeah, and so for me, I, I know your your take on it was that that Highmore was very low on the play, and body yes. position does matter. And I thought yes. when he turned and he pivoted to the left towards the boards, he was low. But then as head came up, I thought right before he got hit, right as he got w- where he was like a stride away from getting back into regular stride, it was a needless hit. It was kind of that valley of death that Nick Cromwell used to do coming down the wall. It, it just seemed it, it seemed almost predatory to me. Right. And, you know, I, I think the, like I know that the argument that if he's in if he's in protocol, you know, how, how is that not a hit to the head? But again, if the referee saw it the way you did, that the player put himself in a vulnerable position by being low, then the hit to the head doesn't mean that it was a hit to the head, you know, in a penalized in terms, way. In, in terms of the rule 48. Yeah. I mean, the, the key, like, yeah, I yeah. agree. I agree. The, the standard, in my opinion, should be the same as a high stick. Like, it should, the onus should be on the hitter to avoid contact with the head so that in a well, situation but Tyler like Myers, that, that, totally, totally. The Myers, the Myers thing is the big issue to me, right? He gets called just because he's tall. Right. Well, and, and, you know, that is, that is difficult and he doesn't get the same benefit of the doubt that Stando Chara always did, right? Um, but the, but the, so I think the onus should be on the hitter to avoid contact with the head, like with high sticking. That's my, my personal opinion because I want a player in McDermott's shoes to have that thought in their back, the back of their head. Oh, right. I, I should, I can't like, I can't, um, take the chance. I think that would serve players better in terms of protecting brain health, particularly with what we know now uh, about how, um, you know, vital that is to, to long-term, um, you know, long-term player quality of life post post playing career. But the way that the, the rule is written now, rule 48 violation can be negated to some extent, even if the head is the primary point of contact as a result of a player's body position. And this is if a guy crouches down or if a guy, and you've heard the, you've seen the NHL suspension videos sort of explain this because of Highmore's body position. I thought it was at best a borderline rule 48 violation. And I probably would have sided with the referees, but that doesn't mean like the thing that the the two calls were all, and it's really four calls that drove me nuts in the Avs game were that Quinn Hughes takes draws that cross-checking penalty on McKinnon and then gets two three-ply soft slashes, which like suggests to me that the ref was sending a message. And I hate that. I don't know that that's true. I'm just saying that's what the optics look like, particularly considering how absolutely borderline <laughs> those two penalties were. And then the Cogliano knee not getting called was a travesty. Like that yeah, should have yeah. been an absolute extra penalty. And then tonight, you know, all over the ice, there was a variety of things that were kind of, you know, just like that, 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 that seemed to not make any sense to me. Um, you know, I thought the, the wild could have been penalized almost every shift <laughs> with the way they played, which is fine. I think the, there's Canucks players who play like that too. Like you Lamico, right. Um, in particular, Oliver Ekman Larson 
is teams also running a lot more interference. So I'm not even criticizing them for it, to be clear. I just, I just thought there were a lot of calls that went against the Canucks that completely baffled me, in, including the, the Hartman dive on Horvat um, in the third period. Uh, that one in particular seemed egregious. Like it let Hartman off the hook after he did high stick cues simply because he'd come like, it's like because he'd complained about a Canuck diving and then mixed it up with Demko didn't draw an extra penalty, right? Like he, he was being a complete, um, you know, Ryan Hartman about it <laughs> after the fact, probably should have gotten an extra penalty there. It feels like a Canuck might've feels like most players should. And then it's like because he complained, the ref was predisposed to give him the benefit of the doubt when he then dove. Doesn't make sense to me. Harmon, what were your thoughts on the uh, refereeing the last couple games? It's it's honestly been really brutal. And, and obviously, I think tilted against the Canucks. I don't usually sort of – I think we're at a point now with the officiating where part of it is just kind of you accept substandard. But this has been a different level of, of where it's been kind of shocking. And even seeing um, – the what should have been a puck over glass and, and you can't review that but I remember on the homestand you have two high sticking um high sticking penalties that were reviewed and then um that the Canucks are drawn I think and then in both times um those penalties were reversed. Um it just it, it seems very odd to me there. Um and then I think also Minnesota this is the perfect type of game for them for it to kind of be officiated this way too because they were they were pushing the Canucks' buttons without towing across the line. Like they knew exactly where the line was, and you would see like after each puck that Demko would bobble up, like you'd see Fiala on a flyby, sort of just poking and prodding. And Minnesota was able to get extra kind of shots in on the Canucks, but they did it cumulatively. Like it, there wasn't one individual sort of incident that would sort of draw a penalty, but then you'd have whatever the Canucks would retaliate, like with Richardson or, or with Horvath, that would immediately get called because it was a little bit more um, blatant in in isolation. And it just felt like one of those games where because the refs kind of let things go to a certain extent and because Minnesota just seems to be experts at sort of knowing exactly how to toe the line, that it worked as a disadvantage against the Canucks. Um, but no doubt, I mean, and it just kind of underscores as well, again, not only for the Canucks, that's, you know, that's been another obstacle for the Canucks to overcome as they pick up three points here. Hey, Drancher, before you get to the next point, I just love the fact that you are railing on officiating. Canuck Nation is going to love you. They think they think you hate them. They're going to love you. Well, I just, I honestly, I'm just, I've been at both of these games and I just have no sense yeah, of yeah. it, you know, and I can tell that although the, well, you know, I know, I know that it's baffling within that room right now. It is. Like it coming is. out of those two games, I know for sure that they're wondering what's going on. And I think trying to solve it and not trying to solve it by changing how they're playing, but changing how they're engaging with officials, right? Like, are we complaining too much? Are we trying too hard to draw things? Like, what can we do differently? And when, when once you're thinking about, the game within a game as opposed to just like let's play our game let's play disciplined let's hold the puck so that we draw penalties like that's a problem that's a problem and i don't like it i don't like it i think it's become a larger league-wide issue and i think we've seen it play out in these last two canucks games all right a corollary to this and i'm going to pivot off a, a chat comment from 
uh, Alexander D, who says, if we did squeeze into the playoffs, I don't see us doing much damage due to our size issues. So uh, that he goes on to say more stuff, but I want to stop there because our next hot button, as we look down this Minnesota Wild roster and we see, you know, um, <laughs> guys like Yoel Eriksson Ek, who is a, a tough customer, Marcus Foligno, who is massive and a tough customer, Jordan Greenway, uh, a big body, Ryan Hartman, you know, just a classic, like a classic um you know, you need to call the exterminators. There's an infestation. Uh, that's the way that Ryan Hartman plays. And I say that, by the way, with absolute respect. Nicholas Delorier, I think, makes everyone on that team feel an inch or two tall, taller. Um, once you go through that, I think you've got, what, four or five of the biggest, toughest forwards in the West? And they have a six foot seven guy they didn't even dress tonight in Nick Bugstad. So this Minnesota Wild team is beefy. They are a beefy bunch. And. You know, the Canucks have Luke Shen. <laughs> and that's kind of it. Um, does Vancouver have enough size to compete when it matters? I'm, I'm curious to know your gentleman's thoughts on, uh, on this because I can tell you for sure, even though the Canucks played well tonight and fared well, that that's going to be a talking point locally. Let's start with our. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. think they are. And when we talk about. Sorry, we can, you can go, man. You started. I screwed that up. Farhan. <laughs> no, no, all, all good. All good. For me, I think when we talk about the shortcomings this team has in terms of being a playoff-ready team, and, you know, we, we've said so often that the goal shouldn't be to make the playoffs. The goal should be to contend. And, you know, when we, we don't necessarily talk about size enough, right? You know, we, we talk about um, goal-scoring skill and depth throughout the lineup offensively in an improved top four, but we don't talk about size and physicality enough. And we're not talking about fighting, but this is why Luke Shen is so important to this team right now. It wasn't the fight. It's that the guy's always there physically, right? He hits on a nightly basis. He plays a style of game that nobody else in this roster is equipped to play. You know, um, JT Miller can be a physical player, but generally that means he'll go to the physical areas. It doesn't mean he's going to inflict punishment on people. That's not how he plays. Um, you know, same thing with Bo Horvat, right? Like they can handle themselves physically, but they're not necessarily players that are going to initiate physically. And they just don't have that anywhere in their lineup outside of Luke Shen. So, you know, when they go through the laundry list of what this team needs to do, once they've found some cap space and can actually find a way to improve, that's got to be pretty high in the pecking order because you're going to have to show me a bunch of other guys that can play that way because because tall doesn't mean big and big doesn't mean physical, right? And the one thing with Minnesota's players is those physical players generally can also skate. Yeah, that's true. Harmon, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean it's definitely one of the um, one of the things that you look at is is they're I I, I definitely don't think they're one of the bigger more physical teams in the Western Conference and yet. I sort of look at it as it's a priority, but it's further down the pecking order in a sense because we saw, and obviously it's it's a much different team as well on, on both sides, um, but size is kind of one of the ingredients. It's just one. And I think, think back to the bubble, right? And the Canucks faced off against Minnesota, who they didn't have the speed element, they didn't have Kirill Kaprizov, but they had the size advantage, right? And at that point, the Canucks were able to handle it. Against St. Louis, a bigger, stronger team, they were able to handle it um 
so the way I kind of look at it is 100%, and 100% they do sort of lack size, um, and it's one of the ingredients that they need to add. But like we always kind of talk about, it can't be the one of the first things that they sort of uh, prioritize. I think in, internally, I think you're hoping that someone like Vasily Podkolzin, as he sort of gets his feet under him, as, as he becomes more accustomed to the NHL level, like he's the sort of player to me that should thrive and, and sort of add that quality to Vancouver's lineup. But they're, they're, I think they're definitely going to need more of it, more of it, especially if Miller is indeed moving the offseason, because you're right in, in the playoffs, especially the deeper and deeper you get, um, it, it wears on you and it becomes such a physical grind. Um, and we've seen that a team like Minnesota would definitely sort of in a regular seven game series, especially when they now have a speed advantage too. Like that's where that would kill you, right? Where I look at Minnesota in the bubble and they didn't have a speed advantage. They didn't have the top end skill advantage. But now you look at Minnesota as a real contender. It's like, boy, they have they have all three of those qualities. They have the top end skill. They have the speed and they have the size. That's when it becomes a problem. Um, but for this Canucks team, I think it's a matter of we've got to become a consistent playoff team um, before we even start to worry about how do we match up in a playoff style atmosphere. Yeah, well, and you and also look at that. You also look at what happened in the bubble, and think of how good the kind of power play was back then, right? Right. And that's that's one way to mitigate against a big heavy team because at some point they're going to take penalties. And you look at Tampa, who's big on the back end, but they're not big up front. But damn, are they fast? So you got to be one or the other. And right now, the Canucks are neither. Although they're not fast anymore. Not in the bottom six. Yeah. Well, yeah. sure. When they lost when they lost that third line, but during their cup. You know, both yeah, cup years, right. they had that third line and they were that team. For sure. And now they're not. But I'm saying like, you know, even Brandon Hagel, who I love, uh, and Nick Paul, those are like area game players, right? Those are not, those are not Yan Gord, Blake Coleman speedsters. Um, sure, you know, sure. I'm, I'm curious to see if Tampa has enough speed to hang with, you know, in their bottom six in particular, to hang with Florida and Toronto in that division. I know they have a massive goaltending edge over both, so maybe it doesn't even matter, but I, I wonder if it could. I certainly wonder if it could because speed kills in the playoffs. And that was what Sean W. pointed out. Sean W. pointed out that um, team speed is a way bigger issue for this team. And I think that's probably right, to be totally honest with you. I think that's more decisive when you look at Canucks outcomes, right? It seems like they handle these bigger teams far better than they typically handle the, the really speedy teams. I think we're going to see that a little bit, especially against St. Louis, a team that Vancouver always seems to play really tough, no matter how good they are. And so, you know, I do think I do think the speed thing matters a ton. And, and look, this goes back to one last point that I want to bring up, which is every time the Canucks win a game, I get at least four people in my menchies on Twitter who who, who comment to me like, so poorly constructed, huh? And it's like, my opinion's not going to change. My opinion's not going to change based on results anyway. But if we're talking about a team that's not big enough or fast enough, like, what are, what else are we talking about, right? Like, we're talking about construction. All right, let's get to another hot button. JT Miller on the back check. Acceptable? Unacceptable? Your thoughts. Gentlemen, let's start with, let's start with the coach. Let's start with Farhan. Uh, one particular player on the whole. Uh, sorry, the the play in particular, but also what it says in the bigger picture about Miller. 
Yeah, you know, you, I, look, I, I've I've struggled with his commitment to the back check going back to the All Canadian Division and, and potentially prior to that, right? Like it's it's not always there. We've seen those moments in his game, right? We've seen the the back checking, and at times we've seen the turnovers in his own end. And I think he's gotten better in that area, but it becomes difficult to be a leader and be so engaged in in all of those accountability pieces, but then not have that in your game as consistently as it needs to be, right? I think that becomes really difficult. And then when those moments happen, he's typically the first guy to go back to the bench and get upset with himself, right? And and then you see that demonstrative nature and the volatility of who JT Miller is. But, you know, if you back check, you might not get to that point emotionally. Uh, is it, I, I think he does so many good things for this team. It becomes difficult for me to turn around and say, well, it's because of that that you can't commit to the player, right? I just, I don't see it that way because the guy plays in every single situation, hard minutes, heavy minutes, he competes, but that is a very, very noticeable part, which seems to be the antithesis of the rest of his game. Harmon. Yeah, I, I definitely didn't like it because in that situation, it wasn't even necessarily that it was a back check. Miller had the positional advantage when Minnesota was starting to corral the puck. Uh, Miller had a lot of time, and and before the breakdown even happened, I sort of noticed that, okay, Miller's last man back here because Hughes is caught up. Um, He's got to kind of be quick to shift to the middle. Um, And in that situation, it was going to be a two-on-one, I think, pretty comfortably. But in my opinion, I think Miller just reacted too slowly, and it became a back-check situation. Like, in, in that situation, when you're, when you've got Hughes high up, you're essentially a defenseman, in my opinion, in terms of how you should be reading, reading and reacting to that play. I think Miller was maybe looking for an opportunity of trying to read potential lanes and see if there's an opportunity to maybe pick off a pass. And I just think in that opportunity, he needed to backpedal towards the middle right away, to the middle right away. And again, it would have been a two on one, still a high danger chance, but for Erickson Eck, to kind of get away clean um, and for Miller to not even have pressure on him uh, yeah. on that breakaway. To me, that was too much space. Like, that was too much space. Yeah. Um, and, that, and obviously like Farhan mentioned, Miller does so much for the team that it's not as if, I mean, especially in a game like this, he scores a power play goal when they had nothing going offensively in the third period. So it's hard to kind of rail down too hard, hard on him. It's just a part of the game that, um, it's a part of Miller that you kind of come to accept is that's part of what you get in JT Miller is yep. yeah. Occasionally you're going to have the the defensive breakdown or the defensive lapse there. And it um, happened earlier this season where Boudreau even called him out on it, right? Like, yes, he, it did. Talked about a similar play. And, that one was uh, worse. You know, the coach back. It was, it was, that one was worse. The, uh, the Sean W always bringing up good points, brings up another one. He says the back checks are a canary in the coal mine of JT's entire defensive game. I think that's a fair point, uh, particularly, you know, in the context of my longstanding and stubborn preference for JT Miller as a winger rather than a center. The one last thing I want to comment on is, you know, I, I think it's hard to divorce the disappointment of hitting that post, you know, of, of just not ending it with what we then saw. But that also, I think, speaks to the double-edged sword, you know, that, that's inherent when we when we discuss JT and the fact that, you know, if your heartbeat is, you know, if, if double-edged sword is the sort of 
analogy you most frequently use for your heartbeat, doesn't that explain a lot about a team that seems to play down to opponents and up to opponents? And it's really hard to predict what you're going to get from one set of, you know, back-to-backs or, or one week to the next, right? I mean, if the Canucks had been this team last week, do you think they sell Tyler Mott? <laughs> like, do you think they maybe look different today? I think they maybe do. Um, all right. An associated sort of point. How much do you think what we've seen this week from the Canucks is a result of the pressure being lifted that sort of mounted on this team in the months leading up to the trade deadline? Because I asked Bo Horvat about it post-game, and he said he thought a fair bit of it. I mean, I thought he agreed heartily with me, gentlemen, far more heartily than I expected him to. Like, what can you take away from that? I mean, we know Vancouver's a fishbowl, right? We know it ain't easy to, to play in Vancouver, but... I, I mean, if you're a team that that struggles when the when the pressure is high, isn't that a bad sign? I mean, what am I missing here? I want to start with Harmon. I was a little I was a little bit surprised. Um, I would have, you know, obviously it's it's distracting, but as sort of looking at it kind of on an individual level, um, you look at some of the names that were most frequently frequently involved in discussions. Um, you know, for Brock Besser, I'm sure it was a, a relief and he scored a five and five goal against Colorado, which was huge. Um, but aside from that, I mean, Connor Garland, um, you know, he's played well and he's generated chances, but I don't think he's been a huge difference maker. And obviously with JT Miller, he's been productive throughout, you know, on, on both sides of the trade deadline. So it was interesting. I don't, again, I, I didn't think that, you know, I'm, I'm sure it would have affected certain individuals. But at a team-wide level, I'm not sure that it would, you know, I didn't expect Horvat to maybe agree with you as wholeheartedly um, as he did. Farhan? I appreciate Bo's honesty, and it's no different than what J.C. Miller has said on a couple of occasions now, right, both before and after, that it, it did have an effect on some guys. He talked about it for himself. Um, you know, in the case of Brock Besser, it surprises me and it doesn't. One, he's dealt with it for three straight years, right? So you, you kind of wish that he would be numb to it. Two is that at the same time, we've also seen how his confidence really, really has those highs and lows, right? When he's in a funk scoring wise, he'll tell you, he'll tell you that he's in a funk scoring wise. And when he gets out of it, he'll tell you that he was in it back then and will kind of acknowledge it. So. You know, I, I get it. I, I don't know that we've seen a substantial difference in Connor Garland's game. Oh, I don't think we saw a difference in Tyler Mott's game. And he was the front and center, the guy that was going to be traded. Luke Shen, we always saw it in his game. You know, he played he played consistently, played consistently well, even though his name got mentioned. So, you know, but to your point to start this, Drancher, like, isn't that a problem? Yes. Like, this is small P pressure. Big P pressure is game seven in the conference final, right? Like, that's real pressure. Uh, you know, as far as hockey context is concerned. So, yeah, it does bother me that if you can't kind of separate all of that, if you can't find it in, you know, some common sense to just stay off social media and things of that nature, because we've talked a number of times about about the fact that, you know, we get criticized as the media, this big, bad, evil entity that, you know, is affecting the guys in the room. Well, the room's not the same. Like, for two years now, these it's been child's play for players. Right. Like we still didn't get Thatcher Demko today. He hasn't talked in almost three weeks. Right. Like, are you really, you know, should we really be able to, should we be that concerned 
right? If you're a player, you can shut all of it off today like you couldn't two years ago. You have the option to shut all of it off. Do it. It's a really good point. Um, all right, especially about Demko's availability. I guess I, I guess I have to ask for a practice on Monday now. Um, I asked right. for him today. Yeah, but it's game day, and you know, I mean, no, no, he yeah, was on the know. table. I'm not being critical of Demko. I'm just saying that in the current climate, players can hide, players can pick and choose. They can pick and choose when they want to talk to the media because we're not in the room, and they can turn off their damn social media. Yeah. Um, all right. One last hot button, and then we're going to open the floor to subscribers. So a reminder that if you're in this room and you'd like to participate and we've got our, we've got our good pal, the anthem singer, Jug Preet docked up. He's going to be our first, uh, he's going to be our first, um, VIP invited to the stage. We always love to hear from our guy, Juggy. But before we do that, I've got one more because I promised five hot buttons and I think it's an important one to bring up. Uh, we will do this in lieu of a out of town scoreboard update. Duke has just taken. Oh no, wait, no one cares. Um, <laughs> only, only I'm my still bad. dying about Gonzaga. I know. Anyway, um, talk about bad officiating. My goodness. Anyway, yeah, let's let's not get into it. Um, <laughs> so the LA Kings are currently trailing. Uh, behind the Chicago Blackhawks, but I think the Kings are probably too far afield. The Vegas Golden Knights look like they're poised to beat the Nashville Predators. They're up 4-1 at the end of the second. The Dallas Stars got outshot a million to one, and I don't even think I'm exaggerating, but still managed to pull off a shootout victory in Carolina and the Winnipeg Jets. Oh, sorry. The Edmonton Oilers crushed the Sharks at home and the Winnipeg Jets choked like absolute choke job uh surrendering four goals in the last 10 minutes of the of a tied third period against the ottawa senators my goodness a team with michael delzato and travis hamnick on their top pair top pair all right so the canucks get one point tonight gentlemen but the stars get two and if the vegas golden knights get two is this still a bad night for vancouver Well, it would have to be, wouldn't it? I mean, we uh, Harm talked about it earlier. Like against Dallas, they pick up uh, four points in their back-to-backs, and as well as the Canucks played to get three. Here they are sitting out. This is an awful night for Vancouver. Harmon? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of what I mentioned right at the start. Is just it's it's tough with the out of out of town scoreboard, and this is what this is the part of the season where it's just like you don't have a ton of runway, and it's not just about your team finding its way. But you have to rely on um, sort of things, factors that are outside of your control. And at this point, I think we've all kind of agreed, or I don't know, we haven't, we haven't had this conversation, but I think Dallas has always looked closest, um, especially with Vegas kind of falling out of it, uh, out of the picture a little bit. And um, especially with, with the Canucks having a potential swing game um, or having the swing game on Saturday, it would have been huge if, if Dallas had lost either tonight or, 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 or their, or their game on, uh, on Tuesday, um, that would have made a, a big difference and set Saturday up to potentially be an even more decisive game. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of gets back to the, the point of, um, if you look at the micro and you look at this back to back set, it's again, th- three points in, in four nights and, on the road in those circumstances with the officiating that went against them. Again, I cannot say enough 
positive things about how the Canucks performed as a team, and yet standings wise, it's it's still a rough rough night on the whole. Well, and just for those who don't know, right? So the the Stars will play the Canucks on Saturday, and even if the Canucks win in regulation, they'll still be three points back. Um, I think they'll be tied in tiebreaker, and it'll come down to ROW, which I believe the Stars have more uh, of than the Canucks. And then here's the Stars' next two two and a half weeks: Ducks, Ducks, Sharks, <laughs> like Ducks, Ducks, Goose. <laughs> no, Ducks, <laughs> Ducks, 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 Sharks, Kraken, Islanders, Maple Leafs, Devils, Blackhawks. That takes oh, them through April yikes. 10th. So. I mean, that's a tough team to catch at this juncture, I think. And, you know, again, even if they win on Saturday, you know, you're looking at you're looking at being pretty far back. I mean, you know, you'd still be. Um, yeah, it would be two points, excuse me, with two game and the Stars would have uh, three games in hand still um, because they're both going to play. And, you know, they they'll hold the they'd hold the tiebreaker, I think, even if the Canucks win in regulation. So. Uh, you know, one thing I just want to talk about really quickly here is there was a lot of people who got upset about those models that had the Canucks at like 1%, you know, 1% to make the playoffs in November. And it's like, since they were in that spot, right, this is the 99th percentile best case scenario for the Canucks as it's played out, right? They've gone on a 700 point percentage heater, just picking up points every which way. And yet... They're still in these dire straits, even with everything they've picked up. That's why it's so hard to gain ground. Like, it's just such a t- steep climb. And you think about how cruel it is to, to play the way that they did this week. And we're talking today like, man, that was a really tough night for the Canucks on the out-of-town scoreboard. Um, you know, just goes to show you how difficult it is in this league if you fall behind early. All right. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's go to the audience. All right. The the key here, everybody, is you can raise your hand. You'll be added to our queue, and I will then select you the way I'm about to select my pal, Juggy. Drancer, how's it going, guys? <laughs> Juggy, welcome <laughs> to the stage. Lovely, lovely to hear your dulcet tones, good sir. Oh, the, you guys are you guys are amazing. Thank you so much. Um, you know, it's, it's 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 great to be on with you guys, and and great discussion, and, and a lot of great topics there. And I'll try to keep this as short uh, short and sweet as I can. Um, you know what what for the playoffs, and, and like you just mentioned, Rancer, the what really stands out to me uh, in terms of 
the playoff race and where the Canucks are is obviously the first 25 games of the season and this past seven game homestand where there was uh, a chance to to beat some some winnable um, some some winnable games there and 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 they just weren't able to take advantage of it unfortunately and now we're in a situation where you know the Canucks really have a tough schedule coming up right you play Vegas three times you have St. Louis you have you know Dallas obviously on Saturday like this is not going to be a cakewalk and you know Dallas um, they've definitely got the easier schedule to to make it to uh, and and get on a run here. Um, you know the the thing I I really want to ask you guys and in terms of the uh, pressure and obviously just being in the entertainment industry that I am I I totally understand that as well. Um, obviously performing for a long time and you know there there has to be. A, a certain point where you do have to stay off social media, even though in the society and the sort of social place that we live in, you know, social media is so important uh, and uh, to, to everyone's sort of day and, and daily life. But it's like, you know, it's, you, you got to balance that at some point. And I know it's mentally, it can be draining reading a lot of things online. Um, but, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta find a way. And, and one of the things that kind of, just transitioning from that point um in terms of the trade deadline and and a lot of players uh you know feeling like the pressure has come off of them a little bit after that trade deadline uh left for me um i kind of look at it as a a trade deadline where um and and frank cervalli pointed this out and I, i don't know how much you guys are able to elaborate on sort of the intel that you guys get from from the room or or anything like that but it seemed like there was a lot of players who uh were happy that hamannick was gone and um you know obviously modder was probably a pretty popular player in that room but how much does that have to do with it and also um in terms of the core and how the canucks are playing um, you know, they've, they've played pretty well for the most part, um, you know, while Boudreaux has been here. Um, and we talk about the size and you talk about, you know, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning and, and all those other teams, um, you know, that have either size on the back end. You, you do get teams like Pittsburgh who, you know, maybe not aren't as big, but, you know, they have Sid and Gino, right? So it kind of cancels up, cancels each other out. But when you look at this core, um, you know, do you see a scenario where the management is like, look, that, you know, Bo Horvat scored 25 goals. You know, Brock Besser's had a decent season. We might be able to, you know, get him on, on decent money. JT Miller's having an, an awesome season. Um, do you see a, a, a sort of situation where they're like, you know, maybe we don't have to trade one of the big guys, but maybe we can trim around the edges. And I know maybe that's not the uh, sort of ideal way of going about things and maybe changing the mix around or, or something like that. But what are your guys' thoughts on that? All right, Jugpreet, thank you. Lots thank, to get into you. there. Thanks for joining us. Thank, thank you so you. much, buddy. Take care. <laughs> you too, bud. Um, okay, so let's start with the room dynamics thing, because I, I think that's what I'm best suited for, and then I'm going to kick it off to the two of you gentlemen. You know, the sense that I have is that, you know, the idea that, like, the idea that I, I, you know, I want to be very careful about how I say this. And I always want to be very careful about how I say these types of things, because I typically any conversations I tend to have about this sort of stuff, I, I, I often have in confidence or on the are off the record so that I can, um, you know, not be wrong. 
when I'm sort of like building up a guy as well liked or like, you know, <laughs> something like that. Like that's what my main interest is. I, I, I don't want to get too much in the, in the locker room gossip or, or what have you. Um, you know, I do think that accommodating Travis Hamannick this season was stressful for the entire organization. And I think that includes the locker room. Um, but I think the idea that, you know, if you're of the mind that Hamannick has gone and now this room is, you know, hunky dory, I think that would be a vast overstatement as well, right? I, I so I, I want to leave it there. I think I've given you enough to read between the lines of, um, without uh, without tipping my hand or, or violating any confidences. And you know, it is uh, it is an interesting question and, and one to unpack. I still think that the biggest issue that this team has dates back to what happened after the bubble and the step back of the 2021 season. Um, you know, I think that goes well beyond uh, the coach. <laughs> I think that was an organizational rupture uh, that, that I think has, you know, set this organization's culture back too. in addition to their on ice uh, ability and talent level. As for the idea of tweaking things around the edges, I'm curious to get your two th- your thoughts on that, that matter, gentlemen. Um, is it sufficient? Can this team just get by? with tweaking what they have Harmon or do they need something more dramatic in your view? I think they do need something more dramatic um, in my view. And I think that's, I think it's, um, I think it's a view the front office has as well, especially because I mean, you live in a cap world and there are only so many dollars you can kind of commit to certain positions and you kind of need a roster that's efficient in certain parts. If you are um, sort of overspending in others. And I think, we all have an understanding that the back end right now is both expensive and underperforming. And for that reason, um, you need to be more efficient in other parts of your roster. And I think um, when you do look at, I think that's part of the reason why there's been so much um, noise around these big name wingers. When you discuss names like Miller and and Besser and and Garland is, um, you know, that's a way to carve out flexibility um and potentially with those pieces if you do monetize them you could look to get you that could help you rebuild your back end right and i think that's the biggest sort of obstacle in, in the big picture is kind of rebuilding that back end is because outside of quinn hughes um for the long term there isn't a whole lot of high-end sort of pieces pieces um, you can have confidence will be top four fixtures for the next handful of years. I mean, Oyel's had a strong, strong season. Um, hasn't had the best, obviously, stretch the last 10 to 15 games. We'll see how his contract kind of ages. But for that reason, I think there's an under- understanding that, um, you know, I'd be, let me put it this way, I'd be very surprised if they, if they took a view that, all they need is tweaking and trimming around the edges and kind of restructuring this team, especially when you hear a lot of the language used to describe them is, you know, when you hear Rutherford right from the first press conference talking about issues like team speed, I don't think that's something you solve just by trimming around the edges. Right. So that's kind of my view on it. Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, I think the back end situation is obvious as, as harm points out, right. Both in terms of the dollars being spent and them just simply not being good enough outside of Quinn Hughes, but you know, up front, I think you got to take a look at it significantly. I mean, I, I don't think this is a, a trim. I think this, this group needs significant change. And, you know, we also talk about cultural change. And so, you know, can you fix culture around the edges by adding 
you know, bottom six players and, and bottom pair defensemen and what have you. And all of a sudden they're supposed to change your core pieces and, and make them, you know, get into the right mindset of, of being what you want culture wise. So I think that's problematic as well. So I think surgery is needed. I, I don't think trimming is going to be good enough. And, you know, you want to improve your speed. You want to improve your size. You want to improve your consistency, right? Offensively. Um, you know, all of those things are going to matter. And, and so, you know, we've talked about who the untouchables on this team are, and there probably are only three. And that really is how it should be, because I, I think based on either your, your cap situation, your contractual situation, or just who you are and what you offer, yeah, I, I think there needs to be significant change here. I just want to remind everyone, too, of one last point before I invite everyone. If you'd like to raise your hand, we'll give you uh, we'll give you till uh, 9.15 Pacific to raise your hand and get in the queue if you want to ask a question. I have to fly out. I have to be up at like 3.45 tomorrow, So, um, and that's local time. It's 11, 11 where I am, so I'll make a wish. Um, so five more minutes to raise your hands, and then we're going to close it just because I do have to sleep for at least a couple hours tonight. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to be a complete <laughs> no, you zombie don't. tomorrow. No, you don't. Yeah, no, I do. Um, I really, really do. But I just want to remind everyone, in addition to having given that notice on the uh, on the hands up cutoff, that like we talk about like when this team's competitive window opens, right? We talk about that a lot. It's now. That's the most frustrating part about this season is the Canucks are in their competitive window now, and and like are kind of all in on this season and with this team, which is why it's so frustrating that they haven't accomplished, you know, much more than getting back into the fringes of the playoff race, right? Like this organization pushed way too many chips in the center of the, uh, of the table for a team that I think realistically was somewhere between an 84 and a 85 point team, you know, uh, your mileage may vary um, this season. Like that's the big issue that we've been hitting on too. Like when we talk about construction, we're also talking about timelines and how they've hit it and what they've spent to get there. And this team is so far away from being good enough to warrant the amount of investment in futures and in cap commitments and in long-term cap commitments pushed into the center of the table to construct this team. It's deeply frustrating. And so I don't think you can tweak it because I think you need to fundamentally rethink what you're doing. Like, I think you need to spend a couple of years netting value everywhere. Otherwise you are going to get lapped like a passive approach in which you continuously try to make the playoffs by, you know, just mildly upgrading the blue line and forward depth. I think gets you lapped, lapped by LA and the um, Anaheim Ducks. And in the meantime, I don't think it's sufficient to catch up to Vegas, who I think will be fine after this season, even though I, I think they are likely to miss at this point. Calgary, who I think is going to have at least a couple more years after this, in which they're still really, really good. And, you know, also probably Edmonton, who are still going to have the best players in the world, short of a truly epic collapse here, uh, for at least the next few years. So, I mean, what are we doing here? You know, if you can't, like, if if tweaking, if you think you can make tweaks and catch Edmonton, Calgary, and Vegas, fine. But know that in doing so, you're going to get passed pretty quickly by L.A. and Anaheim, and you might already have been passed by L.A. You're only five points clear of Anaheim. So, I mean... I just I don't really see a route forward that's not pretty 
freaking dramatic, to be totally honest with you. That's just the situation. That's the bed this franchise has made itself. That's my that's my two cents. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, let's go to Rick O. Rick O, welcome to the stage, Rick O. Hey guys, can you hear me? We can, Rick. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. I just want to say that this is a great format and it reminds me a little bit of Clubhouse and Twitter spaces. And I'm hoping that maybe this might become a regular post-game routine. Um, My question is, on the road, John Shorthouse has to deal with John Garrett's strange obsession with ketchup. Is there an equally strange food obsession amongst you three while on the road? I love the question. Thanks, Rico. <laughs> First of all, Harmon's obsession is ketchup. And chicken it's, well, burgers. It's chicken burgers first and then ketchup. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so Harmon doesn't really eat normally, right? Like Harmon um, eats chicken burgers and smoothies. And I don't know that I've ever seen him eat anything else. Is that fair? Yeah, no, I've had the exact same, like, smoothie breakfast pretty much outside of the road, like, every day. Um, even on the road, actually, I figured out how to order, pro- like, those protein shake smoothies. Um, yeah. So I just, like, have that. Well, you got to get Athletic Greens, baby. You got to get on the Athletic Greens. Uh, I'll bring you some uh, I'll bring you some packets. You got to try this. It's so good. Down. Yeah. Perfect. Um, yeah, yeah, listen, this, no, Harmon, yeah. we can't ask Harmon about food. We can't ask Carmen about food. Well, I just want to. He's on a just, completely different end of his metabolism well, he's, he's, <laughs> compared to the rest of us. It's not. He's twenty-one. Either. He's twenty-one, and uh, but I remember the first. First of all, there was two great experiences that I had traveling on the road early in our time working together with Harmon, and I want to tell. I want to share those stories. First, we went to Victoria for training camp, and it was one day, and I was like, "Do you want to um, like go for a beer or something?" Um, and he was like, are, are, like, are we gonna, are we gonna go drink? And I was like, oh, I just thought we'd like have a casual beer or two. And he's like, do you want to go clubbing? And I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like, oh, honey, that's so cute. That's so sweet of you to think that I would be capable of doing that. Thank you. Like, that's so nice. I really appreciate that. Um, and then, and then the other one is when we went to Alberta and I'd be like suggesting really nice place to eat, like far on, you know, me, right? Like, I I, I got picks, right? Like I got picks for days. I got, I got restaurants. I like to hit, I got specific types of food. I like to hit in various cities. Like I like my food. I eat very well. I'm not quite Moj level, but like, you know, in that, in that, um, in that mold. And so I'm like suggesting these things and Harmon's like, um, do they have chicken burgers? <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, what? I'm 
what he did. <laughs> so, so, so we compromised and went to the keg. Um, yeah, for me, so, it's all about chicken wings. Yeah, I love chicken wings too. Well, what, which is your Buffalo chicken wing spot, Farhan? You know what? You know, Actually, I've now found a number one seed, North America wide, okay. Weber Grill. So the same place that? that makes your barbecues. They've got a string of restaurants, and I, I was just there in Indianapolis at the Combine. The best chicken wings I've ever eaten, ever. Wow. When I, like, I'm a connoisseur, and I can say ever. I'm a big, I'm a big Gabriel's Gate guy in Buffalo. I took Botch and J-Pat there. I go back every time I go. Um, yeah, the, the fa- infamous Jorts night, we went to Gabriel's and, and crushed, like, four pounds of wings. It was it was beautiful just beautiful and then you know i like to there's like certain things i i did my what i hit depends on where i'm at like in when i was in buffalo or sorry when i was in denver i made sure to go get a smothered green chili burrito that's like my absolute tops in denver um i went to a really cool new spot for it too and it was unbelievably good um i don't really have anything that i have to hit in minnesota but in dallas in dallas pecan lodge uh, some really good Texas style beef, like beef rib barbecue. Mm, so good. Very, very much excited for it. And then in St. Louis, uh, you know, I know St. Louis has decent barbecue, but, um, I have a, I have a calzone place that I like to hit in St. Louis. That's pretty good. It does it. Their, their whole bit is that they do sauce on the side, not within the calzone. And, uh, they also have Jameson on tap. So big fan of that. All right, we've got one more person in the queue. This is our last question, and then I'm going to go get three and a half hours or three hours and 45 minutes of sleep, depending on how quickly, um, you know, my bets get settled. Uh, Daniel C., welcome to the stage. Oh, hi, guys. Um, I was wondering, how can you guys, how do you guys yeah. think can yeah. I possibly keep Miller after the season and then give it, or like not trade him in the offseason, given that they need the traffic to unload contracts like Myers or OEL and how much faith do you guys have PD being a number one center on this team in the future? All right, Daniel, good questions. Critical questions. Um, Harmon, I'm going to kick it off to you first. How much faith do you have in Elias Pettersson being a number one center in the years to come? I still have faith in him in, as a number one center. I think the, the thing that has maybe changed is I remember coming out of the bubble and that's when he had just come off the heels of being a point per game in the in the playoffs, and he had had a dominant regular season as well. Not only in terms of his production, but you saw the level of two way dominance, um, where he had driven with the lot line, one of the best lines in the NH, one of the best first lines in the NHL. And I think a lot of people looked at, okay, if he takes the next step offensively. I remember a ton of people, not just in Vancouver, but outside of Vancouver, starting to rate. Pedersen as a potential, is he on the outskirts of one of the top 10 centermen in the NHL? Now, for that ceiling, has that projection changed? I, you know, he's got a lot more work to get there, I think. And especially now, um, there's a question too about durability. So for me, do I worry about Pedersen penciling in as a number one center? No. But am I worried about does this team have enough elite talent to where, like, let's say Pedersen. There's a world in which I think two years ago coming out of the bubble, you looked at Pedersen as, again, maybe he's somewhere between the 7th and 15th best centerman in the NHL. Maybe now you're looking at him as 
he's good enough to be a no- number one C on on a contender, but maybe he's on the lower end of that spectrum. And if that's the case, then that means he'll need morally talent around him. And so that's kind of how I view um, the Pedersen situation is it has not tested my faith in him as a number one centerman, but does it test my faith in how much overall elite talent this team needs to be a contender um, and how much more you might need in addition to Pedersen? Yeah, that, that equation has possibly started to, started to shift. Um, Farhan, on the topic of is there a route forward that involves keeping JT Miller for this team? That's a tough one. Uh, you know, he's priced himself to a really, really big number. He's like eight times eight could be where we're, what we're looking at here, right? Uh, when you saw what happened with Hurdle, and I know he's getting older, they're not going to want to give him that level of term, but that means more dollar. Um, you know, and, and he, he's earned it, right? Based on his, based on the seasons that he's had and the three years that he's been in Vancouver. So I, I think it becomes difficult. I don't know that there's a pass forward there. Um, you know, if you give him that kind of number and you're not able to move on from those two defensemen, that are eating up $13 million, losing Brock Besser is one thing, but it might cost you Brock Besser and Bo Horvat. So it, it makes me nervous when I look at also the value that he could potentially bring back. I think it's a, it's a tough ask, but, you know, he, he's got a lot of value to this team. Uh, he's, a, he's a culture piece, right, that I, I think he's a guy that, uh, you know, can a lot of people can rally around, both good and bad. So he's going to be tough to part with. But I, the numbers that they're talking about around JT Miller right now, I'm not sure I see a path forward, Drencher. Yeah, uh, I'm going to write this this weekend, so I don't want to step on it too much, but look no further than the Canucks' opponent on Saturday as your cautionary tale, right? You've got Ben, you've got Sagan, and neither of them is particularly effective at this point. They're only 30 and 33, respectively, so we're not talking about, like, way off in the future, guys, guys who are 38 or something, you know, like we're talking about guys, people want to point to Pavelski, but look at Ben and Sagan, you know what I mean? Like, and, and then look at what Dallas has going for it, right? You've got a 30 goal scorer on an ELC, right? You've got Rope Hintz, who's like a bona fide top line player making 3.15 million this year and next. You've got two top pair quality defensemen in Klingberg and Esselindel at 5 million or less. You've got one of the best defense, young defensemen in the league in Miro Haskinen. And you've now got a starter in Jake Ottinger, who, who's really, really good and on an entry-level deal. So you've got all of those things working in your favor. That's like a lot of breaks for a team to have. That's a lot of efficiencies for one team to accumulate. And like they're the team we're talking about the Canucks chasing. Like They're not good. You know, They're a fringe playoff team. They made the finals with a miracle run unlikely to get back there they're not winning a cup this year probably not winning a cup next year they need significant work to restack the decks and it's like that's your best case scenario i think if you're the canucks like that's your best case scenario if you end up living in a world where you've got oliver ekman larson and jt miller taking up 16 plus million combined or 15 plus million combined uh into their 30s that's your best case scenario uh, personally, I just want more for Canucks fans than, than that. I want more than being the Dallas stars as your ceiling, um, based on how the last eight years have unfolded and all that this organization has sacrificed to, well, and not willingly sacrificed, but all they've effectively sacrificed to, to accumulate some of the top 
end young talent we see on a nightly basis. Um, to me, that just kind of sucks. It's just not good enough. And I'm going to keep saying it, and I'm going to keep saying it no matter how bad people get in my menchies, because um, that's what I do. That's what we That's what we do, boys, together. So this is it. Let's wrap it up, because I need to wake up in four hours. Um, <laughs> gonna be a, gonna be a wild night for me in Dallas, everybody. So thank you, everyone. Thank you to the VIPs for joining us tonight. We loved, absolutely loved having you all. Uh, this is always fun to do. I think we'll do at least one next week as well. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for asking questions. Uh, remember to rate and subscribe to the podcast if you're listening to this as a recording. Uh, and please let us know what you think of these. If, if you have any ideas for segments, uh, if you have any feedback on how they're going so far. Loved having you guys. Loved celebrating, um, you know, an interesting week of Canucks hockey collectively and with some fun, highly detailed conversation about this team. You guys rock. You're the best. Thank you to the VIPs. Thank you to you, Harmon, for joining us again. And Farhan, you're the man. Love you, buddy. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Travel safe, Rancher. Thanks, guys. Travel safe, Rancher. Cheers, boys. Bye.